Hello, everyone. My name is Clint Schwartz. I'm the lead pastor here at Lighthouse. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. If you're watching online, thanks for tuning in as well. I do have one announcement. Um, we are embarking as a church on reading the Bible. Uh, we did that this past year and had kind of a, a group uh, corporate reading plan. And so we have a new plan that starts on January 1st. Uh, I really am looking forward to it because it has a little bit of the Old Testament, a little bit of the New Testament, and then Psalms and Proverbs every day. And uh, it's not going to jump around a lot. It'll just kind of go through the Old Testament, go through the New, and, and go through Psalms and Proverbs every day. And uh, I, I will just encourage you, if you've never read through the Bible in a year or, or, or at all, I would encourage you to sign up for this one. We do have Bibles that you can order at the Welcome Center for like 10 bucks if you want to get a Bible that actually has it in order. We also have paper reading plans, so if you're like me and you like to just check things off and use your own Bible, um, I'm going to be using one of those reading plans. But then you can also use uh, the YouVersion Bible app, and uh, they have the one-year Bible reading plan there as well if you prefer to read on your uh, iPad or on your cell phone. So I would encourage you guys, uh, this starts on January 1st, so if you want to order a Bible, it'll be in next week, and uh, you can pick up, like I said, a handout or sign up for the online Bible app, but that's coming up on January 1st. So today, uh, on Christmas Eve, I'm excited. We are finishing our Christmas series titled Christmas Reels. Anybody enjoy this past couple of weeks? Yeah, so what we've been doing, for those of you that haven't been here, each week we look at a classic Christian movie, I'm sorry, classic Christmas movie, and we find the Christian theme within it. Uh, they have not all been Christian movies, have they? No. Uh, but, uh, but we find the Christian theme within it. And, uh, and to get you kind of in the mood to receive, uh, we have movie snacks for you every week. So this week we have popcorn. Anybody like popcorn? All right, you guys, bring in the popcorn. And uh, we're going to get started with the movie in just a little bit, but grab your box of popcorn. Merry Christmas, my angel. 
successful year. So, after all that hard work, it's time to start preparations for next Christmas. What in the name of Sam Hill is that? His name is Buddy. He must have snuck into your sack at the orphanage. What do we do? So, Santa had a decision to make. Unfortunately, not. <laughs> Does anybody have that as one of your favorite Christmas films, Alf? So, um, for those of you that don't know the story, which is probably like three of you in here, but I'll just summarize it for us. Uh, so Buddy ends up being raised and adopted by Papa Elf, and he is raised as an elf, but uh, eventually finds out that he's actually a human and not an elf, and uh, decides to leave the North Pole in search of his biological father. He finally finds him, and much, much more. If you haven't seen the movie, I'd encourage you to you got two days. You can watch it today or tomorrow, right? You really should. Now, at the end, Buddy saves Christmas. So here's a two-minute clip of Buddy saving Christmas. And so, with a little help, Buddy managed to save Christmas. And his spirit saved a lot of other people, too. Waller started his own independent publishing company. His first book was written by a brand new critically acclaimed children's author. The book was Elf, a, a fictional story about an adopted elf named Buddy who was raised in the North Pole, went to New York, ate spaghetti, worked in a shiny mailroom, and eventually saved Christmas. First, I traveled through the seven levels of the candy cane forest. Past the sea of twirly, swirly gumdrops. And then I walked through the Lincoln Tunnel. And as for me, I can't complain. Buddy comes up to visit from time to time. In the meadow, we can build a snowman. And pretend that he's Boston Brown. Oh, thank you, Gilby. That's, that's say, very sweet. You You're welcome, we'll Papa. Say no, man. But you can do the job. I'm here, little one. Ain't it thrilling? Puppy wants to see you. So your nose get a little shit. Buddy, we'll frolic and play. Yes, Now, there are actually a lot of funny parts in that movie. I think my favorite part is when Buddy says, you're an angry elf. You guys remember that part? That is one of those. <laughs> I just laugh out loud. I shouldn't, right? But I laugh out loud every time. But I don't want to talk about, the, the, or draw your attention to the funny parts. I want to talk about Papa Elf. I want to focus on him, played by Bob Newhart. Um, he's kind of, in my opinion, 
the star role model within the movie. First of all, he voluntarily adopts Buddy, even though he's a human and not an elf, and then he raised him like he was his own son. And when Buddy found out that he was adopted and wanted to meet his biological father, Papa Elf didn't get mad. He actually helps him uh, by telling Buddy where his father lived in New York City. Buddy then left Papa Elf in search for his biological father. And that had to be tough on Papa Elf, right? He had raised Buddy as his own, and then he feels like you know, he's being rejected uh, by this unknown father. He could have taken it personally, Papa Elf did, but he didn't. He just waited for Buddy to return. And as you saw on the last clip there, Buddy returns with his wife and new child. And uh, Papa Elf takes him in with open arms, even lets him sit on his lap like he did when he was a kid. So Papa Elf for today is an example of unconditional love of a father. And that's what I want to talk about today is perfect, unconditional love of a father. Now, even though Papa Elf was a pretty good example of that love, I mean, he wasn't perfect in it. Uh, and those fathers that are in the, the room today, I mean, we may be good fathers, but we're far from perfect. Can I get an amen from the guys, not from the kids, right? Yeah, <laughs> right? Um, so that's not the love we're going to talk about. It's because it's not perfect. And the same thing with our earthly fathers. I don't care how good your earthly father was, um, most likely he wasn't perfect. So we're not talking about that either. What I want to talk about today is the perfect, unconditional love of our Heavenly Father, right? Because that is the only fatherly love that was absolutely perfect and is absolutely perfect. 1 John 3.1 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. So the great love of God is lavished on us by calling us his children. We are adopted into his family. 1 John 4, 16 says, And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. God's love is perfect because that's who he is. He is love. He represents perfect love. And then 1 John 4, 10 says this, This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So God sent Jesus to be born. And we celebrate Jesus' birth. That's what Christmas is all about. But today I want to talk about why Jesus came to earth. And it was because of the love of God, a fatherly love for his children. So you can turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. That's where we'll be today. This is not your typical Christmas Eve text. It's still in Luke, but it's just a little bit further on. But in this section, Jesus explains the love of God. Now, specifically, in the context here, Jesus is teaching to the crowds. And he's got religious leaders and Pharisees and Sadducees and teachers of the law. They're surrounding him. But more than that, he has sinners around him. He has the prostitutes. He has the tax collectors. He has 
other people that are outside of the church. And he's teaching them about God's love. But then the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the teachers of the law, the religious folks, they start to complain that Jesus is, man, you're teaching, you're a rabbi. You're supposed to keep all of that for the righteous people. Why are you teaching to these sinners and tax collectors? And Jesus overhears this. And so in response, he wants, he wants the religious leaders and he wants all the people to understand who God is, who his father is. So he tells three stories. They're called parables, but they're three stories with a message. And the first one is this. He tells the story of the lost sheep. This is where a shepherd has 100 sheep and one of them wanders off. And the shepherd leaves the 99 and runs after and finds the one that ran off. And then when he finds that lost sheep, he rejoices. He's not mad. He's not angry. He rejoices. And then he tells the story of a woman who had 10 coins and she lost one. And so she frantically stays up at night and, and cleans and moves the furniture until she finally finds that one coin. And when she finds that one lost coin, she rejoices. And then the third story, which is the story we're going to read today, is about a man who has two sons. And one of them wants his inheritance early and he, and he leaves and, and goes off to a foreign land. And the father, the father stands and waits for his son. He can't wait for his son to return. And when his son returns, he rejoices. All right, so we're going to read that story, Luke 15, starting with verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share and estate of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a, a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. So today's message is simply titled Real Love. Real Love. And we're going to look at the love of God as described through this parable as Jesus talked about his Father in heaven. So I have three points for you about the love of Father God, but first let me pray. Lord, I pray that you would open up our hearts to hear from you today. 
And Lord, I pray that you would give me your words to speak. Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. And we come against all demonic forces and principalities, and we crush you and command you to be um, subject to Jesus Christ. You have no authority in this place. Speak to us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, three points. You can fill these in on your handout if you would like. The real love of Father God is, first of all, compassionate. First of all, compassionate. Verse 20 says, So he got up and went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Now, this isn't necessarily the response we would have expected because the younger son, I'm sure, had been complaining for a long time. Dad, why don't you just give me my half of the inheritance? I don't want to wait for you to die. Just give it to me now so I can spend it and use it while I'm young. And his father finally gave in to that, right? And, and sold half of everything that he owned and gave it to this son, hoping and right praying that his son was going to use it wisely, maybe double his income, invest it into some sheep, you know, buy a house, those kinds of things. But that's not what he does. He takes all of that money, goes to a foreign land, and just wastes it, wastes it on wild living. So you would think, when the son comes back, what's he going to hear? What did you do with my money? I told you so. You shouldn't have done, I mean, right? I mean, that's what we're thinking, that that's what's going to happen. But that is not what happens. The father with open arms, receives him with compassion. There wasn't an I told you so to be heard. See, for us, in our culture, and I think in many cultures, fathers are known as the teachers and trainers, right, in the household. That's what we do. Everything's an object lesson. Well, see, you, you fell off that. This is what you should have done, right? I mean, <laughs> that's what we do. My dad was a great uh, teacher, trainer. I worked for him in construction. So he taught me, you know, how to swing a hammer, how to use a nail gun, all those kinds of things. Um, and he was also my coach in sports sometimes. And so, you know, he taught me how to play sports. But when I think back about my dad, I don't remember a time when he was full of compassion, <laughs> right? I mean, that's, it's, I just don't remember. I mean, maybe later in life, but not necessarily when I was growing up. And it's hard, I understand. It's hard to mix teaching and training and coaching <clears throat> with compassion, right? Those just don't seem to, to mix together. And so sometimes when we look, you know, at, at our, the love of God and we see God as a father, the last thing we're expecting is compassion, especially when we've messed up. We're expecting a, okay, well, you, you need to learn from this, right? I mean, that's what I do. That's what I learned. I mean, that's what my first go-to is, is to think I, I'm going to hear a, a lesson on my mistakes, but that's not who God is. Psalm 103 verse 8 says, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. 
The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Now, some of us, when we think of our earthly fathers, that's not the image that we, we see, right? Compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. And because of our earthly fathers and maybe some of the mistakes that they made, because I know I've made some as a father, it can taint the view we have of God. And we start to see God through the lens of who our earthly father was. But I really feel like what God wanted me to say as his representative today is that's not who he is. Our God is compassionate. He does not lead with judgment. He does not lead with, I told you so. Our God leads with love and compassion. And so when we mess up, when we make a mistake, we don't have to hide from him. We can run to him. We don't have to worry about what he's going to say. Because he's going to speak love to us and compassion to us. So that's our first point. The real love of Father God is compassionate. And I'm so grateful for that. I'm even more grateful for the second point. The real love of Father God is forgiving. It's forgiving. And that's the way that this father responds to the son with incredible forgiveness. He says, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Which was true. That was a true statement. He had taken his whole inheritance and blown it. He, he didn't deserve to be called his son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. So not only did the father respond compassionately, but he responds with forgiveness. He reestablishes him as a son right away. Now, if we think about this, this son, the son had, had lost a lot of weight. He was destitute and poor, probably homeless. He, his last job had been out with the pigs in the pig pen feeding them. I mean, so he probably smelled, he was dirty, he was stinky, his clothes were tattered, and the first thing the, the father does is hugs him, right? He hugs him. But then the next thing he does is he says, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Now, the best robe was most likely the father's, right? He was the one who had the best robe in his whole household, so he's saying, go grab my favorite, my best robe, and bring it to him. And they put it on the sun, and it completely covered over his uncleanliness, his gauntness, how dirty he was. He covers him, completely covers him. This represents how God, when we go to him, completely forgives our sins, the stain of our sins. And he puts a robe of righteousness around us to completely cover all of our mistakes. Isaiah 61.10 says, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. 
and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. So the robe completely covered the evidence of the son's past life of sin. Then the father gives him a ring for his finger, and many biblical scholars believe that this was the family signet ring. Now, most likely, he would have had a ring when he left with his pocket full of money. But when he lost all of his money and and was starving, he probably had to sell his family ring. And the father looks down and says, hey, where's your family seal? Where's the family crest? Here, let's go grab a ring, a family signet ring. He might have taken it off of his own finger and put it on his son. And he tells him, you're my son. You're part of the family. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter that you sold the last one. And he completely forgives his past sins and shows him he's part of the family. Romans 8.14 says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. doesn't matter what we've done. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. When we return back to God, we do not return as slaves and servants. We return as sons and daughters. And he puts a ring on our finger. And he says, welcome in. Welcome back home. And it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what mistakes you've made. It doesn't matter that you've turned your back on him. He'll take you back. And he'll make it clear that you're a child of his. And the last thing he gives the son are sandals for his feet. Again, this was symbolic. It was was helpful too, don't get me wrong. Walking around in bare feet is not a, a great thing to do, but most likely he had lost his sandals or they had worn out. His feet were dirty, they were calloused, maybe bleeding from the journey. And in those days, servants and slaves walked around barefooted, but not children who are part of a wealthy family. They didn't. They had sandals for their feet. And so he reestablishes the son's position within the household a position of respect, a position of honor. He has a robe on that covers his sin. He's got a finger, he's got a ring on his finger that identifies his sonship, his belonging. He's got sandals on his feet to show his position, and that's what God does for us. He completely forgives our past mistakes like they never even existed when we turn back to him. Now the reality was that the son couldn't repay everything he had lost, right? Everything he'd taken from the father, half, that half of his inheritance, he'd wasted it all. There was no way he could repay it. And the father didn't require it. It's the same as us. We can't repay God for the mistakes that we've made. 
We can only go to him and he'll respond with compassion and forgiveness. So the real love of Father God is forgiving. I'm so grateful for that. And the last point is this. The real love of Father God is for everyone. For everyone. Jesus was telling this parable along with the other two parables to explain to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law, to the righteous people there, hey, the message of the gospel, the love of Father God is not just for the righteous. It's for the sinner. It's for those who have wandered away. It's for those who have left the family, who have sold the ring, who have squandered the wealth. The love of God is for everyone. And the story goes on to say that the father put on a party, right? Killed the fattened calf. We're going to celebrate. We're going to celebrate. We're not going to just take him in. We're not going to let him sleep in the, the slave, with the slaves and the servants and the stables there. We're going to have a party and announce that my son, my son is back. He was dead but he's alive. He was lost, but now he is found. That is the true message of Christmas. That's why Jesus came, to give us freedom, to give us, to give us salvation, to give us new life. Jesus came to pay for our mistakes. We've squandered the family wealth. We've turned our back on Father God. Every one of us has sinned. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All. That includes me. That includes you. Every one of us has sinned. The thing I like about that basic statement is that it puts us all on the same category, right? I mean, Mother Teresa has sinned. I have sinned. You have sinned. We're all on the same, in the same category, on the same plane. It makes, I heard someone say one time that the, at the foot of the cross, the ground is level, right? We're all sinners, in need of a savior. Now the problem with sin is that there needs to be a payment for sin. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. The payment owed for sin is death. And because of your sin, because of my sin, we deserve to die. We deserve to pay for our mistakes. But that's not the way it works, Right? Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So Christ, who is the only one who has never sinned, never made a mistake. While we were still sinners, while we were the lost son, Christ said, hey, I'll, I'll pay the price. I'll pay the price. 
And he was born 2,000 years ago, lived a perfect life, never sinned once, and he said, I'll, I'll die. And it wasn't a quick, painless death. It was a long, gruesome, horrendous way to die. But he still willingly did it. And Scripture says it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. He laid down on the cross, hung there, and died for us for the joy set before him, which was us. It was the fact that we could have our sins forgiven by an almighty God because he died for us. Romans 8.1 says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus in the same way that the lost son came back home and had his sins covered, his uncleanliness covered with the robe. That's what God does for us. He completely covers all of our sin by the blood of Christ. Jesus was born so that he could make the payment for us. But it's a gift. It's a gift that we have to receive. Jesus came and died for all, but not everyone, not all, are going to make it into heaven one day. Only those who receive the gift. Romans 6.23, the second part says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So God has a gift for every one of us this Christmas. And it's the best gift of all. It's the forgiveness of our sins and eternity in heaven. It doesn't get much better than that. That's better than an Apple Watch this Christmas, right? To be washed completely clean of our sins and to spend eternity in heaven. That's the gift that God has for us. But each one of us has to receive it on our own. We cannot receive that gift through a family member or the fact that we attend church or that we grew up in the church. Each one of us has to make that decision to receive that gift on our own. And the way that we receive that gift is, first of all, through believing. we got to believe that Jesus is who he said he is. We have to understand that we're sinners in need of a Savior. But then we have to make a decision, and I call it, a confession of lordship. We have to confess that Jesus is our Lord and choose no longer to, to follow what we want or what somebody else says, but to actually make a decision to choose to follow Jesus no matter what the rest of our life. That's what salvation is. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord... And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So it takes two things, to be saved from our sin, from the consequences and payment of our sin. The first is, we have to believe it, right? John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So that's the believing part. 
But then in Romans 10, 9 and 10, it says we need to confess with our mouth that Jesus is our Lord. Not just believe that he is Lord, but confess that he is our Lord and then adjust our lives accordingly, right? When I'm not the Lord of my life, if somebody else is, that means I'm going to do some things different than what I want. It's a decision to follow God no matter what. So it comes with belief in our hearts and confession with our mouths.